Welcome to CPP Chat, a backwards compatible look at what's going on in the world of C++, chatting with guests from the community. But before we start another epoch that's this week's episode, John has a disclaimer to read. Thank you very much, Phil. This week's disclaimer, oral representations cannot be relied upon as correctly stating representations of the developer. For correct representations, make reference to the documents required by Section 718503 of the Florida Statutes to be furnished by a developer to a buyer or leasee. Hey, um, I am glad to have Vittorio Romeo on as a guest. Um, Vittorio is shaking up the world with his uh, with his epic making present, uh, proposal. But before we talk about that, we should do the roundup on what's going on um, around the around the calendar for um, conferences. Uh, I should say about CPPCon, almost all the videos are up. Um, there's a couple that, for one reason or another, are delayed, but almost everything is up, and that includes the lightning talks and all of the, uh, the presentations. So there's an awful lot of content up, and um, I've been looking at the kind of comments and a lot of favorable comments. There are other um, uh, uh, comments that that are engendering a little bit of discussion about some of the some of the topics displayed, which is exactly what we want. Have some have a little bit of discussion. That's what the that's what the videos should be for. Um, I have to say, by the way, that the uh, posting all of the the videos in in Reddit and having most of the comments on there. I know there was a bit of backwards and forwards on it, but the 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 quality and structuring of the, the comments on Reddit is so much better than on YouTube. I think that's definitely the way forward. Okay. Um, and uh, also, CPPCon, the call for proposals for people wanting to do classes should be up soon. It's not published yet. There's a few things I want to do first, but um, but that should be up soon. So if you're thinking about teaching a class, I know it sounds like it's way far in advance to be thinking about teaching a class in September, but we like to have all the classes ready for registration when we open registration. So it turns out that we need to have a very long lead time on classes. So if you're thinking about doing um, generally speaking, they're two-day classes. Some of them are one-day. Um, some of them both can't even make up their mind if they're a one-day or a two-day class. It's, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, so we'll do those usually right before, right after the conference. So if you're thinking about something like that, there will be a, uh, a call for proposals on that going up soon. And there's a prospectus that is published. And uh, you can get that prospectus and look over uh, so a lot of the details and do that. Um, so what else is going on? Meeting C++ sold out and added new slots. Did, did Are the new slots sold out? Do we know? I believe so. Because um, originally they sold out at 666 tickets. Yes. Um, the, the hotel was able to free up some more space. And they then got 737 tickets, 737. Wow. So uh, some interesting numbers all around. I yeah, think. that's right. <laughs> um, so that sounds like... Uh, that sounds like it's going to be great. I'm I am speaking there. That's probably why it sold out because everybody knows John's coming. So we should all uh, we should all. Yeah, I'm sure that was the reason. <laughs> um, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, let's see what else is going on. Uh, ACCU 2020. The uh, uh, call for uh, uh, proposals has uh, has closed, which is um, uh, which means I need to get started reviewing <laughs> submissions, which I haven't started yet. Um, and uh, let's see. Oh, there's also going to be the ACCU in Belfast. Has that, I, I assume there's still tickets for that. Yeah. Has that sold out? Do we know? 
As far as I know, that's that's still up for sale. Still available. Yeah. So for people who are going to be there for the committee, which is the obvious reason that it's in Belfast, not a coincidence that it's the yeah. immediately after the Belfast committee meeting. Uh, and let's see what's up next then. Uh, C++ on C. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're still taking uh, requests for speakers there? Well, that's just opened okay. uh, in the last few days Okay, uh, as we record this. So that's, that's new news. I'll post the link to the, uh, to the call for speakers page okay. in, the, in the notes. All right. That's going to run till the end of November. Okay. So just a touch over a month. Okay. Yeah. And then we have, uh, what else? Russia? Oh, yeah. I think C++ Russia is in progress right now, or just starting today, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So we're basically looking at the uh, this marathon of C++ Russia, yeah. then Belfast, then Belfast ACU, then Meeting C++, then Code Dive, then Corehard in Minsk, right? Yeah. So... Uh, <laughs> there is this this cluster of all these sessions uh, late in in the fall, beginning winter, and then also there's this one in in spring, which is like April through June, yeah. where we go crazy both of them. All right. Uh, so, any other things we should talk about, like ABI break? <laughs> well, this was part of the uh, the, the pre Belfast mailing. There was a um, paper from Titus Winters. I haven't read all of it yet, but I saw this pop up and I thought it was actually relevant to what we're going to talk about today. It's all about whether we can do an ABI break in C++. And he was lamenting that, um, you know, despite him saying standard after standard, you know, we did an ABI break to get these things in. Uh, we've been maintaining ABI compatibility, which sounds like a good thing. But now, of course, everyone's conditioned to think we can't break the ABI. So if we do, that's going to be a really big deal, and a lot of people are going to get lost along the way. So he's actually starting to lose faith in whether that's ever going to happen at this point, or, or even if it should. So I haven't read the whole thing, so maybe he, he changes his mind halfway through. Um. <laughs> well, I think it's – I think part of the issue – you know, um, if you listen to Nevin on uh, on Cast, which I always recommend people listen to CPPCast, uh, Nevin Lieber was on, and he was talking about the fact, you know, the standard doesn't even – doesn't say anything about API, ABI at all. It's it's completely uh, completely undocumented from the point of view of the standard. There's nothing there. But people on the committee are very concerned about it. And he even talked about how you know certain certain people don't care about it at all. Basically, if you control all your own source code and you just recompile, right? But there are other people who aren't in that situation. They either have third-party vendors or they're supporting people with libraries. And if you've got a built library, that's a whole issue. And my understanding is that some of the Linux uh, providers are starting to say we're guaranteeing backward compatibility forever, and you know no ABI breaks at the OS level. Well, if that's the case, then that kind of constrains what we can do. You know, can we can we release something that is an API ABI break in the library? And then one of the things that um, that Nevin also brought up is that things break ABI without you even thinking about it. In fact, I was I was just watching an old video, and it was a video that uh, Alice Dare did, I think, in 2017, and he was talking about 2016. And so he said, you know, it's almost there. We know it's there. A few things might change. And one of the things that he talked about, I realized, oh, that did change. They didn't do that. And the reason they didn't do that is because of an ABI break that they kind of discovered at the last minute. It was like, oh, this is such a no-brainer. It's It's an improvement. And we can do it. And then I, I believe this had to do with uh, uh, using 
the default comparator being uh, creating a new thing called the default comparator as opposed to just using less. And the idea is that the default comparator for most types would be less. But if you had a type like, for example, complex numbers and you want to be able to order complex numbers, but you don't want to define less than. So you define for that a default comparator. And then the idea is that the library uses the default comparator and then doesn't find it, it uses less. And if it does find it, it uses that. Everything's great, except that, guess what? That affects the, the def, that affects, that breaks ABI. And you can't silently do that without that. And it's like, it would be an improvement to the language. Every, every code that would out there that could compile would continue to compile. Everything would work great, but compiled code wouldn't necessarily link against old compiled code. And so it was an ABI break. So that was an issue. And I think I'm, I'm glad to see this paper um, from Titus because we have to talk about it. We have to decide, well, what's our policy? If we're going to say we never break ABI, then at least let's make that the policy. Because it's frustrating for people to try to make the case and say, here's this improvement and have other people push back and say, well, but that's an ABI break. And it's like, well, so what does that mean? We can't consider it or it has to be really compelling before we consider. I mean, you know, we don't have a policy. And I think it's, I think we need to talk about that. The, there is a joke in the, in, within the standards committee. Um, how many programmers does it take to change a light bulb? The answer is it can't be done. It's an EBI break. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the the talk from Chandler at this year's CPPCon was really compelling for a lot of people in the way that they push them forward to try and break ABI. As you know, unique pointer is something that everybody expects to be zero overhead. But knowing that we cannot get there just yet because of ABI and we cannot fix it because of ABI, it's very annoying. It feels like, why is this thing stopping us from doing the right thing? Why is this thing stopping us from having, you know, proper abstraction? But right. the reality is not that easy. Right. Yeah. Um, if we really can't break ABI, we're going to end up doing, I can you know, you heard it here first, you're going to end up with uh, unique pointer 23 and unique pointer 26 and unique pointer 29, where, you know, every three years we'll figure out, oh, we could do this better, but we can't change it. So what are we going to do instead? So we'll just rewrite the library every three years or respecify the library every three years. Yeah, we, and nobody wants to do that, right? Yeah. We, but on the other hand... But it won't be unique anymore for us now. <laughs> you know, with epochs, you could actually rename like unique pointer in one epoch to something else. But like you could avoid the problem of having multiple symbols, but still you would need conversions between all the various versions. So it's not really a fix. So, so what's an epoch, Vittorio? Oh, yeah, we're getting there. Um, <laughs> we got there. <laughs> what a surprise that we'd get no, there. I'm going to try to explain it without mentioning Rust. Let's see if I can do that. So basically, the idea is once we have modules and we literally have isolated pieces of C++ that communicate with each other by some intermediate presentation, which is very likely going to be the AST of the, of the, of the compiled module, then it doesn't really matter what the syntax inside the module is. As long as that thing produces some AST that can be understood by compilers consuming modules, then it could be some slightly different syntax, some slightly different semantics, and it would be able to interoperate with existing modules or modules that would be created in the future. So the idea, why don't we leverage this isolation of that modules give us to tweak or fix some of the annoyances in the language, mostly regarding the syntax? Um, as an example, one thing that you know is kind of annoying, why do we have to use no discard 
for pure functions. Notice car should probably be a default. And then if you have some, some kind of function that returns a value which has to be ignored, then we could use something like discardable. So there's many situations like in C++ where the default is more dangerous and making something a little bit safer requires more verbosity, like const, for example, or you could argue no except as well. And in general, like we need to teach people, yeah, you have to write this very long line of code to make it as safe as possible. Vyarne has pointed out that we almost always get the default wrong. Exactly. I think the one place where you could argue we got the default right is with lambdas. Lambdas are const by default, and you have to say mutable if you want them to be mutable. And nobody ever says mutable because it turns out you never want them to be mutable. Yeah. So if we'd made the default otherwise, everybody would have to say const on every single lambda. Uh, we got the we got the default right on that one. But in lots of other situations, um, we, we, we got the default exactly wrong. Um, explicit should probably be default for, um, for both constructors and maybe even conversion operators as well. And you would explicitly say this could be used implicitly if that's what you wanted to do. Explicit, implicit. <laughs> Explicitly say that yes. they're implicit. That's right. <laughs> so in general, like one, one of the things that I want to do is try to finally solve the problem. We can't clean up the language, right? We have so much old baggage from C, from things in the standard didn't really work out as planned, bad defaults and stuff like that. And all of this makes it really hard both to uh, understand and teach, especially teach, in my opinion, because you need to start telling people that are new to the language, yes, this is the way it is. You need to write all these keywords because of backwards compatibility and this thing has to be long if you want safety because of this other reason. So when you try to teach the importance of C++, the nice thing about C++, the abstraction capabilities, the power of templates, you get lost into explaining these very minor things, like why do I need to put const? Why should I put const? It makes my code longer. I don't want to make my code longer, but it also makes it safer. So you need to make a trade-off between safety and verbosity. Why do I have null, null pointer, zero? What's the difference? Which one should I use? Like all of these extra choices are just cognitive overhead. Another example I have in the paper is like, now that we have using, why do we need type def? Using can do everything type def can better and also be a template. So why do I, should we have the option? Because people now, when are going to start thinking, do I need a type there for using? What's the difference? Why is this thing still there since it's old? So in general, I just want to provide a mechanism that would allow users to define some epoch declaration at the top of a module and say, okay, this is the 2023 epoch. And that would change some of the things that are allowed or disallowed as part of your syntax. As an example, we could say for the first epoch, 2023, if you add this declaration on the top of a module, you cannot use the null or zero anymore. You always have to use null pointer whenever you want to define uh, null pointer literal or something like that. And everything else is a compile time error. In general, it, will allow, it would allow us to gradually polish and fix the language, remove old stuff, maybe tweak things that don't work as well as we doped, like initialize a list, and do that maintaining backwards and forward compatibility and without completely changing the language. You know, I don't want to propose completely brand new syntax. That's a possibility that could be done with modules, and I'm sure someone will create some language that is interoperable with C++ modules. But what I want is to have the ISO committee decide and agree on what things need to be changed, need to be polished up, and provide a gradual, incremental, linear migration path to people. So that's my idea. All right. So I've got a bunch of ideas on this. First thing I want to say is that 
that, and, and I'm not telling you anything, I'm telling the audience this, that there are a lot of people in the, skid, the committee that are terrified as soon as you talk about this. And part of what they're afraid of is, uh, part of it may be breaking code, but part of it is they're afraid of dividing, dividing the community. I mean, there's this terrible fear that we're going to be in a situation where people who are using, say, Microsoft's compiler are writing actually different code than people who are using some other compiler. And we can't um, as soon as you do that, instead of having one really large number of, of developers that share lots of information and share lots of stuff, we now have two smaller groups and people have to think about writing books or or tools or whatever for this subset of the language versus this subset of the language. And we don't want to go there. We've done a great job, I think, of, of merging the language. And I think that's what the committee's really worried about. But I don't think that's what you're – I don't think anything you're doing is really in danger of that. But I, but I think that's – I mean, some of the people who are opposed to what you're talking about are, are opposed for very well-meaning reasons. Um, okay, so that's one thing I want to say. But the other thing I want to talk about is something that is actually very old. Uh, and it's an attempt to do what you're trying to do using a kind of a different approach. And that is not recognizing, not, not relying on modules, but simply relying on the fact that we have a linker, right? And so there's this thing, and I've, uh, I've asked Phil to put this in our show notes. It's called Specs. And what it is, is it is a proposal by a couple of um, academics, um, I think they were from Australia. And what they did was they said, look, C++ has this terrible syntax. We could clean this up in a lot of ways. And they basically are saying, we're not changing the meaning of what C++ is. Private still means private. Virtual means virtual. Everything that you know about C++ is true, except we're cleaning up the syntax. And the way they did it, and they didn't really talk about this in their paper, but the way they did it, of course, was, you can tell, they just wrote a translator. So you can sit down and you can write in their language specs or whatever it is, and you can write whatever the syntax they think is an improvement, and then it runs through this translator and outputs it as real C++ so that a C++ compiler can chew on it. And I just thought this was a great way of freeing us from this baggage of C++ and still leveraging everything. Because understand, all existing libraries still work. You can call a library. You can instantiate an object of a library. Because all that's happening is that the syntax you're using is being translated into real C++, and it's going to generate exactly C++. And one of the things I thought that was kind of interesting about it is, suppose you decided, oh, we're going to try this in our team. We're going to try this. And we've got our eight developers, and they're all writing, instead of writing C++, they're all writing spec. And you get six months into it, and you realize the things that we thought were improvements are not improvements. It's not working. We are, there's a lot of resistance. Nobody, we can't hire anybody who's willing to learn spec instead of C++. Guess what? You run it through the translator once, and now you're back to C++. And, you know, it's kind of a low-risk way of trying to improve things. Uh, I just think that's an interesting way I'm kind of surprised it hasn't caught on with more people because a lot of people complain about C++ and a lot of the complaints, rightly so, are about the syntax. And this is essentially write your own language and then just translate that into C++. And then you have compilers that have optimization. You don't have to write an optimizing compiler. You just write essentially a preprocessor, right? And that's not necessarily trivial, but it's uh, but it allows you to tap into... All the libraries, you know, you can still run C++ libraries, blah, blah, blah. So that was one thing I was thinking about. Yeah, I have many things to say. So I think yeah. both the points are very closely related. Maybe, I'm not sure if you realize that. But the fear of the committee that 
we could create, you know, dialects, break the community, is probably the reason why things like specs didn't work out in the end. And that's a very important thing because pretty much anybody can come and create a preprocessor or some sort of language that compiles to LLVM IR. It doesn't even have to be processor nowadays, right? And it will be interoperable with C++, more or less. If it's a direct translation, sure, you can use all the C++ syntax and semantics. If it's a translation to LLVM IR, you would have to write some sort of wrapper layer. But, I mean, you still can do that. It's not that crazy to think about it. And there's also some other things nowadays, like um, the circle language, which is basically a fork of C++ that's been recently created with very nice metaprogramming facilities and stuff like that. The, the main reason why I think these two points you mentioned are related is because what I want to solve with epochs is both issues. I want the standard committee to take charge and say, look, we know this place needs to be fixed. We don't want some random person to create his own flavor, then some other random person to get its own other flavor and fragment the community. I want the standards committee to be the driver that basically decides how to clean up the language and keep the community unified. Because if we don't have any mechanism like this one, I can guarantee you that if it's not going to be in one month, maybe it's going to be one year, five years, but somebody is going to come around and say, okay, we have modules now. I'm just going to create my own dialect that doesn't suck and has, you know, const by default and some other nice things. And I'm going to start using that. And that's how you, how you fragment the community. Instead, if we have the committee agree and decide on what things to migrate forward, what things to change in a backwards compatible way, thanks to the mechanism, then the community is going to be unified. So uh, epochs, paradoxically, are trying to fix the concern that the committee has. Like they're completely in line with that concern. Does that make sense? So you're not going to like my next proposal. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. So my next proposal is, what if we did something like this, where we said, ah, this attribute syntax, I can now apply that to a block. So I enter braces and I put an attribute there. And my attribute can be something like modern. And within that code... What I have to write is valid C++. However, if inside my code, just as an example, if inside my code I use an implicit conversion, the compiler gives me a warning. Because it's just an attribute, right? That's, the all, that's really all attributes are for, is to tell the compiler what they should try to optimize for, what they should give warnings on, and things like that. And so what that means is I can copy and paste the code inside this block and put it anywhere else in C++, and it's still going to work. But the only thing is I'm telling my compiler that inside this block of code, if I use an explicit conversion, you should give me a warning, which I can turn up to make an error if I want. I can essentially say inside this block of code, explicit conversions are not going – or implicit conversions are not going to happen. I have to explicitly say that. Or whatever else – I mean, there was a number of things that you talked about that are essentially kind of bad code – and, you know, for example, using zero or null instead of null putter. And so you could say that's part of what this attribute is. And, in fact, one of the nice things about this is that it can come out of um, compiler innovations. In other words, you know, attributes can be compiler-specific. We can have a domain. Uh, that's the way attributes are set up, where you can say these are this experimental set of attributes, and I want this experimental thing called modern and maybe modern safe or just maybe it's just called safe or something like that. And it just means that um, lots of things that, um, that we decide are unsafe um, are 
they still are valid C++. It's just I get a warning for them. I've told the compiler in this set of code, you should be, you know, you have all these warnings. And then I can turn that up to an error if I want or something like that. And one of the nice things about that is that I'm not touching the standard on any of this stuff, which means maybe there's certain implicit conversions that, no, no, you don't want to take those away. That's just too painful to have to call those out explicitly or whatever. You know, there were, I mean, what I'm saying is there's the opportunity to learn. We could try some things out. We could say, well, we should ban this. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do this. And then you do it for a while and you begin to realize, well, yeah, we were maybe a little too overzealous. And you could do that without ever getting that into the compiler or into the standard. I'm not completely terrified by this. I think that <laughs> it's a direction I would be willing to explore. However, it feels like it's separate goal from ebooks in the sense that, as I mentioned, like one of the goals that I have in mind is having the committee drive this. If it's something that's compiler specific or something that is done in the standard, then it kind of loses a little bit of the meaning that it would have. Except that the problem is the committee is the committee and it's hard for them to correct mistakes. And that's what I'm saying is this allows for some experimentation and some learning. You know, it wouldn't be, as I said, by using this namespace, we could say experimental modern. And then later the committee could say, look, these, we can, we can define what modern means for the standard. And so there can be a standard approach as well. It's, it's, uh, I understand what you're saying is it's essentially creating the possibility of dialects, but, um, but without that possibility, we don't have any experimentation at all. If we simply say, and this is one of the problems with, um, with, with library, it's not such a big deal, but with language, language changes are hard to experiment with. I, I don't see why an EPO couldn't be a TS. Like that's, that's true, but that still means that there's not a lot of innovation in the sense that, um, in the sense that it has to go through the committee to even try it out. Sure. As I said, I'm not really opposed to your idea. I, one thing I'm, I'm comfortable with is probably the block scoping. I, I'm not really comfortable with the idea of having a file have different meanings between blocks. We could discuss that and back shed it. But yeah, I feel like if it's viable migration to something that will end up in the standard, then I would be willing to try it out. But I don't want to end up in a situation where every compiler defines modern as something different. Some compiler don't support it. Some compiler has various slightly ways it differ. Like the whole point is having a standardized way of cleaning up the language and removing stuff or cleaning up stuff. Um, like my idea for ebooks would be let's try very gradually, agree on something. It could be a TS. We can see how it goes and then we can publish it. And then if it's really that terrible, the next ebook could revert it. Like it's, it's not a completely binding agreement, even though it's really not recommended to do something like that. One of the things that both of you have, um, who've mentioned actually in passing, one of the objections I hear a lot to the, to the idea of epochs is being able to take a little block of code and copy and paste that somewhere else and have the same meaning. And then that epochs would, um, would prevent that somehow. But we have that situation today. Any block of code which references anything in a greater scope uh, will we'll, we'll have that problem to some degree or another. So you always have to consider the, the entirety of the scope that you're, you're dealing with in order to, to reason about the code, which is also one of the, the problems, of course, that it would be nice if we could address. But we, we have that problem today. 
Yeah, to be fair, I don't really buy into that argument. I mean, even without what you just mentioned, even between different standards, code might stop compiling. We removed stuff in 17 or in 20, or some stuff became deprecated or some stuff slightly changed. So that's true even now. And then, you know, the changes that epochs should perform are very small. They're not supposed to completely change the language. So what's the big deal? You need to add a new cast here, add explicit there or implicit there. Like it's going to be very quick changes. And I don't really see it as a compelling argument at all. It does seem to be a, a very common argument though, which is why I thought it's worth addressing. It is. I, I think I have something like this in my in my paper in the frequently asked questions. But you know, if I want, if you want my formal answer, I feel like it is true. Sometimes you might have to make some minor changes after passing your code. It will take a very small amount of time, and I think the drawback of having to do that um, doesn't outweigh the benefits of epochs, and also makes you double check the code you just pasted. So it's, it's a pro. There might be... Also, sorry, one more thing. You don't want to change it. You're not forced to use an epoch, you know. Like, you can just have a module which doesn't buy into an epoch. You copy-paste your code there, it's going to work. And then that module stays where it is, and you can use epochs in other modules where you don't need to copy-paste stuff. Like, you're not forced to opt into epochs. Right. And one of the things is that, you know, the it's, it's not like the Python 2, Python 3 situation where you can't use a Python 3 library in Python 2 without deciding that you want to become Python 3. This is, um, uh, this change is entirely insulated within the module and there's no, you know, there's no proposal that would ever change the meaning of anything being exported. A function is still a function. There's no, no proposal where, you know, the syntax would say, uh, because of a change we've made, it might throw this kind of exception or something like that, where it's impossible to say that. That's never what we're saying. It's entirely just encapsulated within that um, within that module. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'm reading some of the comments in the... The Reddit thread? Yeah, or not Reddit, but in the... Uh, in the Slack. In the channel here. Okay. Um so one of the questioners saying, what about tools like Clang Tidy? Um, why can we not use Clang Tidy to say, um, hey, don't let me use a zero or a null and just flag that for me and or maybe fix it for me? Why do we need an epic? Why can't we just allow people to say, here's this flavor of Clang Tidy that does certain kind of cleanup for me? I mean, you totally can. Like people use Clang Tidy nowadays. There are, I think, there's actually a, a tidy check for that exact purpose. The point is, you know, Clang Tidy is an external tool. It's not standardized. You would have to set it up in your build environment. It's not a big deal, but you still have to do some work for that. And it's completely subjective what checks you want to enable or not. And if you're a newcomer, you probably have no idea what this thing is and that it exists. It's just a lot of hassle for something that the language should prevent you from doing in the first place. So my reasoning is, yeah, we can keep piling on tools and tools to try and catch the mistakes that the language allows us to do, or we could just fix the language. And I think that the second one is uh, has better consequences for the ecosystem, better consequences for teaching, better consequences for the evolution of the language and making it more appealing for new projects. So that's my point of view. Well, it certainly requires a lot more buy-in if the committee is doing it. But that's also potentially 
part of the downside is that you, you know you're you're now moving at the speed of the slowest committee member not not literally but you, you see what i'm saying there's sure um some people can push back um but i do think um you know the committee the committee might feel like gosh we really really should um we we blew it on conversions they should be implicit Explicit by default, implicit by default, and have to say whether or not they're. No, sorry, they should be explicit by default and have to say if they're implicit. Now, the part of the problem is there's no way for you to say that something's implicit because we don't have that keyword. At least we don't have it defined so that you can do that, right? I mean, there is no way. It's it's not like you could say implicit or explicit, and the default is implicit. No, you can't even say it's implicit, right? There's no way to do that, um, and so. Maybe that's something we want to introduce. But the point is the committee the committee defines the language but never gives any – or I shouldn't say never, but but rarely gives any editorial advice on how to use it, right? There, you know, the committee itself doesn't say, gosh, it would be better if you did this explicitly even though the default is to do this other thing. Whatever the case is. As I said, we got lots of defaults wrong and um, – and there's features in the language that I think there's a lot of people who think that void, uh, vector bool is a mistake, right? But we don't have anything. We're not going to take it out because there might be people relying on that behavior. And so we're not going to take it out. And because we don't take it out, we're also not going to warn people, don't do this. We think it's a bad idea. There's no, you know, that's for people like, like me and you when we're giving talks to say, avoid this, don't do this. And it's still in the standard and it's not going away. It's just there. It's a wart in the standard and it's never going away. And we constantly have to keep telling people, here's this thing. And the committee itself doesn't issue a, this is how we think we should code. Of course, doing that would probably <laughs> cripple the committee, right? <laughs> There's probably no w a way to agree on that. But, but that's part of the problem is that we are not getting any, even when the committee has a great deal of, of consensus that, yes, this you know, we did this wrong, but we're not able to change it now. What do we do about it? And we, we don't have this words from the committee advice on how you should write code. And, 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 and essentially, this epic would be a way of doing it. The committee could then say, gosh, um, we're not going to take away null and zero as a way of referring to null pointers, but we don't think you should do it that way. Yeah. We don't say that. So I would like to disagree a little bit on what you said when the committee doesn't propose any guidelines or stuff like that. You know, there's the core guidelines, which has many proponent members of the committee telling people what they should and shouldn't do. And it feels so backwards to see, like, the language being unsafe by default and then people having to look at the entirety of the core guidelines, use tools like ClangTide and CPCheck just to make sure that they're writing sensible code. Um, something like implicit, for example, is a great example, right? Surely I don't want an epoch to change the default of a constructor to be explicit without changing the syntax, right? That would be kind of weird. In the sense, you just add something at the top of your module and then it changes the meaning of your code silently. But something very reasonable that I think we could do is if you uh, obtain into epoch X, then you either have to specify implicit or explicit. You cannot just put nothing there. So this would allow people at least to, this would force people to think 
is not preventing them from having implicit constructors. It's not preventing them from doing what they want, but it forces them to think, hey, I need to decide what to, whether this has to be implicit or explicit. And nowadays, if you forget to think about it, it is the wrong default because it's dangerous by default. So that's all I'm proposing is basically these minor things that really seem minor, but when they pile up with you know C compatibility stuff with other bad defaults, they can really make a program brittle and introduce weird bugs. So... I don't, cl- I don't want to do anything more drastic than that. You know, ebooks could do anything, but what I want to do is make the language nicer, easier for newcomers, and prevent this kind of bugs. And I think that the impact of changes like the one I just described would be very minor and definitely positive in the long run. What I think part of what my concern is, having, having read the standard guidelines, and I haven't, certainly haven't read them in exhaustion, but I've seen things in the standard guidelines that I disagree with. At, you know, I might agree with 98% of it, but I disagree with 2%. And that's kind of why I kind of like the idea of being able to say, I want to be able to have my own custom declaration of what code I, I write my code. It should, it should be like this. I want to be able to turn on uh, warning flags of whatever sort and say, um, don't let me do this. Don't let me do this. Don't let me do this. But do let me do this because a lot of people don't like this, but I like this and let me do this. Okay. And, and I, I wonder if what would happen is if there, if there was a standard epic epoch that a lot of people would say, don't use that because it prevents you from doing this one thing. In other words, if anybody disagrees with one thing, they're going to say, I want to opt out and we'll be looking for custom abilities. They'll like the idea say, but I want a custom one that lets me do this one thing that, that the standard doesn't let me do. Or the standard doesn't go quite far enough. It should also stop me from doing this and this and this, which are also somewhat dangerous. Um, and I, I actually think that we're getting tooling that can get almost there. And in other words, people have coding guidelines for their companies. Wouldn't it be nice if the, if the, if the tool would just flag you on that? You're not, you're not using the proper style for how we want con- uh, uh, concepts to be spelled. They should be whatever they should be, or file names, or whatever. Um, and and we can, you know, we have we have tooling now that can allow people to do that sort of thing. So, one thing that I think you're still getting backwards is you want to block to basically tell you when you're making, you know, one say in this block I want to be modern. And I want to be safe in this bug. I think it should be the opposite way. It should be safe by default, modern by default. And then in a, in a smaller block, you can decide to be a little bit unsafer, or a little bit less modern. Like That's the thing I'm aiming for. I don't, epochs should never prevent anybody from doing what they want, but they should require a little bit more syntax or be more explicit or have some sort of unsafe block that marks the thing that might be not good. But it should never prevent it. So I still think that the idea of having a block where the things are safe is backwards. It should be safe by default and then have a small block where the things are unsafe. That makes it really easy to, you know, identify potential sources of bugs because there are small blocks as opposed to having everything inside a safe block. Yeah, but a module is essentially a block. Uh, it's a little bit more than a block. <laughs> I mean, that, th- this is the world we're in. You're go- you, we are in, you know, the default is an unsafe world. Sure. So you have, you know, what you're essentially doing is say, hey, here's a module. We can make that a block. That's what you're doing. Well, one thing you can do with epochs is, you know, being this kind of standard isocomedian doors way of migrating code, we could teach people to 
always, you know, the first thing in your module should be the latest ebook, unless you have a very good reason not to do that. And an incentive would be, for example, if we introduce some nice shiny new feature, we could cage it behind the latest ebook so that people would have to opt into the ebook to have the feature. It's a possibility to think about, but it's not something that should be done without extensive discussion. It might but, be that safety is a feature. <laughs> might be, yeah. Yeah, it might be. And there was another point you made. I, I wanted to reply. I forgot. What was the second point you made? Um, I, I was saying that... Um, oh, the tooling. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I mentioned this before. Like, tooling is great. But if you think about somebody that wants to start a new project, maybe I want to build a new game. I want to build a new application. And I have a bunch of choices in front of me. I have C++. I know if I want to build a project C++, I'm going to need to deal with no standardized build system, no standardized package manager, setting up all the tool chain for the linting checks, setting up CPP check, Clank Tidy, uh, integrate that with CMake. All of this just to have a sensible starting ground for my project and have warnings for things that shouldn't be in the language in the first place. Or I could just use, as an example, Rust. Rust has a standardized package manager, has safety by default, has epochs, has all the nice convenience of const by default, safe by default, and unsafe where you want to. So why would I ever choose C++? Like, we are losing this battle. We're going to lose it in the long run because people are going to start to realize that the only strength that C++ has is, compared to other modern languages, is backwards compatibility with other things. But I'm claiming that epochs could greatly increase the position and ranking of C++ in this battle by allowing you to get a little bit of nicer quality of life improvements and safety without compromising backwards or forwards compatibility. And this is major for new projects or for newcomers, because that's one way you can convince them to join our community. I'm not certain that... I mean, I, I think that maybe... Comp- compelling for people within C++. But I think for people outside of C++ who were con- con- looking at different things, you've just said, oh, and now there's yet another complication with C++ that you might like. You see what I'm saying? I mean, it doesn't sound to me like someone who's really looking at uh, at different languages and they haven't committed to any yet. Um I, I don't. I think if what C++ offers isn't compelling to them, if if the large installed base of both programmers and libraries and all that, if if they're willing to say, well, we'd buy out of that if we had a simpler, cleaner solution, I don't think that offering them yet another feature of C++ is that is going to be that compelling. But maybe I'm wrong on that, um, and maybe it's not as important f- to attract new users as it is to prevent old users from leaving, then maybe maybe Epix is a better way of, of doing that. Fair enough. I feel like writing a single line on top of your file is way less hassle than setting up a linting system in your build. And there's precedent for this if you think about strict in JavaScript or I think Perl or something like that. Now C Sharp even got something like that, which disables uh, nullable objects by default. You just put it at the beginning of your file and you say, don't have nullables. And that works really well. So I feel like the, the, the friction of writing a simple directive at the top of your file compared to setting up a whole environment where you're going to have tools that check that you're writing proper code is lowers the bar. That's the thing. It's it's a one thing to think about, but it's way easier to teach to people rather than setting up tooling. You can just you know your your teaching would be 
C++ has gone through a lot of evolution in the past. Now we are at this point where we want to make the language safer. So we have this thing you put at the beginning of your module and it's going to help you do things properly. So just copy paste that and you're done. I think it's way easier than setting up an environment. But I mean, it's a valid concern. Everything you're saying is, is valid, right? I just feel like it's more of a cost-benefit analysis. And so far, I'm very convinced that the benefits still outweigh the, ben- the negatives. Well, I'm not trying to discourage you or give ammunition to people who, who are trying to discourage you. I think that what you're trying to do is admirable. Um, and I think that um, I, I, I hope you the best of luck with it because I would love as a, as a teacher to be able to say, this is how you should write code. And the compiler will enforce that if you do this. Um, I, I think we're a long way from having a consensus on what that is. I mean, I think one of the, uh, one of the issues that you may run into is that when you actually get people to agree, okay, here's this mechanism that we're going to, uh, we're going to write safer code. You may find out that there's not as much agreement as you think. I mean, we've talked about a few things that I think almost everybody would agree on, null pointer, things like that. But when you start getting into it, you may find people making really strong arguments. Well, we should also do this because it'll make things safer. And other people pushing back and saying, wait a minute, that's just crazy. So there may be less, uh, less consensus than you think. On the other hand, I, I, I think there's an awful lot of consensus on a lot of things you know, we had great consensus back before C++11 that we shouldn't use dynamic exception specifications. And we were telling everybody not to use that. And that was something of great consensus. And yet that's what the language provided. And people just reading the description of the language without reading something like Scott Myers or Herb Sutter's books or something like that would have gleefully said, oh, I guess I should use exception specifications. Right? So I think that there's probably is an awful lot of stuff that we have consensus on. And part of the consensus is, well, we're never going to rip it out because we have backwards compatibility issues. So we all agree we shouldn't use it. We can't take it out. And someone who doesn't know about that agreement, some new person, some beginner, is going to stumble into going down a completely wrong path because, well, it's in the language. It's, it's, I looked CPP reference, told me what it was supposed to do and how to use it. And it actually had an example there. And so that's what I followed. But uh, now I'm finding out that I watch conference videos and everybody says not to do it that way. And yeah, I think there is probably a lot of consensus on a lot of issues. And if that's the case, then let's find a backward compatible way to rip them out of the language, which is, I think, what you're giving us. And I'm very excited about that. And I think one of the things you may have people push back on is saying, why should we be restricted to modules? Why can't I do this in main too? <laughs> <laughs> well, main should be in a module it's it's arguable we you know all these things are details i i feel like the file scope is the best trade-off between flexibility and avoiding confusion but if people feel strongly it should be a scope or something else we can discuss that in general like you know i'm i'm happy to bring the discussion to the committee at least see plant the seed if this mechanism is not going to be it at least I can say I tried. At least uh, the committee will know that people are interested in this because I've seen a lot of opposition, but also a lot of support for this proposal. So I believe that going to Belfast, telling the committee about this and trying to do something is the right thing to do. 
Maybe someone else will come along with a better mechanism or a better set of ideas that might be standardized in the future. Maybe we'll all start writing Rust in five years. I don't know. But I feel like um, it's worth a try. That's the thing. So what, uh, what is the, the, the status with the standard? Um, have you proposed anything yet? This, Belfast is the first? Uh, you mean for ebooks? The, yes. The, the paper that was in the pre-Belfast is the first revision. I see. So that's going to be discussed in the EWGI incubator. Yes. So in the evolution incubator. And honestly, I feel pretty confident about the incubator. They're usually, they're quite, they're not as strict as evolution, but they're not lenient either. So it could go either way, but I feel like it would probably allow me to go for another revision. The real test is going to be evolution because there's going to be people like, you know, Bjarna who have very strongly been opposed to these kind of ideas in my opinion, because they were misunderstood, but, you know, they also have good points. And, you know, there's going to be a very diverse set of veterans and people that want to improve the language, so it's going to be a very tough battle there. We'll see how it goes, and, you know. Maybe maybe it'll get little resistance and just surprise us all, and everybody says, oh, now that I see what the actual, actual proposal, that's not so scary. Nah. <laughs> You will definitely get a lot of pushback. Yeah. Whether whether that means it doesn't go anywhere, I don't know. Um, and and maybe it won't happen with with this proposal. But I think longer term, um, particularly after C plus plus twenty three, we've got to go down some some route like this because we're we're just uh, designing ourselves into a, into a corner that uh, it's, it's going to be very hard to get out of. Yeah. Right. And I think this. This is kind of related to the ABI situation, yeah. too, because we're kind of in the same situation there on the library side, which is that over time, of course, we make mistakes. I mean, the, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the committee does. There's going to be mistakes. And some of them are going to be more, more difficult to deal with than others. But, but over time, we're just going to accumulate baggage. We're just going to, you know... We've got all these cool new features that we're introducing. That's great. But we're also weighing ourselves down with baggage. And it would be nice if we could find a way to get out from under some of the baggage as well as to add new stuff as well. Robert says, beginner issue, use C libraries or C++ libraries? Uh, I would say C++, like without. Well, there's not really a lot of duplication. I mean, you could certainly use RAND. That's probably not a good idea. Use the C++ version. Um we now have three different ways of formatting output. <laughs> we have one C way and two C++ ways. Uh, I think the smart thing is to use the Python way. I mean, uh, to use uh, FMT. Um, so, but yeah, I think in general, there's not a lot of overlap, right? Is there? Am I missing something? I mean, generally, if it's in the C library and that's what you want to do, you use that. I guess don't use QSort. <laughs> Uh, assuming he's talking about a standard. If you're talking about third-party libraries, then... Oh, well, maybe that's what he meant. Okay. It's up to you, but never use C++ libraries that look like C. That's the thing you should never do because you know there's something wrong there. Uh... <laughs> you know, when you open some C++ library and there's malloc inside, eh, yeah, that's what you shouldn't use. Oh, oh, a, a C++ library that... I miss, maybe I misunderstood what you're thinking. Um, I many many years ago, this is many years ago. I, I used a particular library that had a C interface, but internally it was all in C plus hmm. plus. And I 
remember the request coming to the author to put a C++ interface on it. And he kind of laughed <laughs> and said, well, you know, kind of the whole goal was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be used by anyone, including C users. And now you want to, and now you want to do that way with that. Uh, and I thought it was a, you know, that was a great library to use, but, um, so maybe I misunderstood what you were saying. Yeah, I was referring to mostly like libraries that claim to be C++, but... And they're, and they're not modern C++. They're not... You know, they use raw pointers everywhere. They use malloc and free. They have, you know, those exist. I've seen them in the wild. They might be very useful in terms of the functionality they provide, yeah. but they're just like big balls of UB. Yeah, yeah. Big balls of UB. Do we have a uh, <laughs> an episode <laughs> title there? <laughs> <laughs> well, I see. Talk, talking of titles, yeah. I um, just just before we we came on air, I proposed a lightning talk for meeting C plus plus, and I'm going to tell you the title. <laughs> All the defaults are backwards. Let's fix that. Oh, oh no! Which is going oh, no. to be a slightly different approach <laughs> to, to dealing with uh, some of the same problems. I have competition. Wow! But I'm not going to tell you what uh, what it's about. You have to. Fine. Well, we'll have to see if it's accepted. All right. So at the beginning of the scope, we just write bang default, and then everything from then on has the reverse <laughs> default. <laughs> what a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, we're right on the uh, on the cusp here of Belfast. Is there anything else that you're interested in that's coming up? Uh, there was some interesting discussion about... Um Constival, uh-huh. if Constival and the constant evaluator. I don't know if you've seen that. Tell us the background. But basically, there was some. So there is this new keyword in CS, No, sorry. There is this new magic library function in Sales Plus Twenty, which is called SCD is constant evaluated, mm-hmm. and basically, when you use it inside of an if as part of a constex per function, then it will return true or false depending on whether or not the compiler is trying to evaluate at a compile time. So it's some sort of way you could basically branch on whether or not you're doing constant evaluation and decide whether to use an algorithm which is slower but available at compile time or something which is faster but relies, for example, on the memory representation of what you're trying to do. So that's a very handy feature. But people have recently discovered after it has been merged into the working draft that it doesn't really compose well with other constival functions and constexper because you are not able to call a constival function as part of the true branch of an constant evaluated check, which kind of is kind of weird because you know you are during constant evaluation. So there is a proposal to basically change this to allow that and use some sort of uh, new construct like if constival to make it obvious that this thing changes the way the function is basically kind of parsed if you want to accept that imprecise term. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. I, I was actually in the room when we when we voted that in and I have regretted ever since. I wasn't thinking about it <laughs> that way. Really? But one of the things I was thinking about is that it shouldn't have been a function. It should be an operator. It's actually... I, I, and I think I, I talked to somebody about this and they said, well, they considered it in, in evolution uh, before it came to, I mean, this was in, uh, in um, library that, that, you know, it was basically came out of the evolution and they came over to library and said, what do you want to call it? And what should we do? And there was some discussion, should it not be STD? And then it was this weird, uh, well, is it in a header and what, you know, or do we need one? And I just, it, it was only later I said, no, it should just been an operator, just like yeah. just like size up. It's just an operator. 
and it's not something you need to include anything for. It's just part of the language. It's an operator. Um, and uh, so if it got ripped out and replaced with something better, I'd be very happy about that. I feel bad about it ever since because I probably voted for it because it wasn't until afterwards that I said, you know, it's just the wrong way to do it. It shouldn't be a library function. To be fair, like one of the problems with the operator syntax is it doesn't compose with a Boolean right. operation. So for example, it's hard to negate. Like, do you put if bang constival? Or you can say something like if constival and something else. Mm-hmm. Right, so one, one argument that people have is that we should have both. We should have the language construct which is like the most basic layer of functionality and makes it obvious that this thing is actually going to change the semantics. And then on top of that, we can build the library function, which composes really well with other Booleans and can be negated. And, and I, th- I like that. I think it makes more sense. Like I don't like magic library functions so much, but if they're just regular function backed up by a language construct, it makes more sense to me. And the advantage of that is it doesn't necessarily have to be fixed for 20 which is one of the sticking points, of course, making the change so late. Right. Yeah. Right. And so we can basically change how its conservative works, but we don't have to take it out, yeah. which would be a shame. All right. Um, so was there anything else you wanted to mention about uh, either Belfast or anything else before we go? Because we're just about out of time here. So we should... Uh... Uh, I, I'll leave you with the best idea ever for an epoch. Okay. We could finally enforce people to put const on the left where it's supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what the standard guidelines are for, is to get people to put const on the left. Uh, I think that, um, that yeah, I think that's maybe a good reason to vote against epics because it, it just forces people to do the wrong thing. <laughs> um, but if, presumably if we take const out because it's the default, then... The whole issue is moot. I kind of do that. That's right. It's the question isn't where you put cons. The question is where do you put mutable? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> East mutable. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think you've given us a great tool for uh, making, or at least you're proposing a great tool for making safer coding. So I think we should all be able to wish everybody safe coding. Safe coding. Safe coding.